Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the prolific developer behind the text editor RuneStone, Simon Sterling. Simon, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to uh, to chatting with you today. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, we've actually been. I feel like we've been planning this for a while. I think we Runestone came out earlier this year, and we were starting to plan this episode. And then summer, you know, came barreling down. And for me, summer is a kind of like a everything pauses because all the family's home, and so I usually pause the show. And so this one ended up getting pushed. Um, but it's kind of nice because there's a little more time for Runestone to kind of be out in the world. And it ended up being... Yeah. Y- you're on kind of a really special episode because I get, you're probably not aware of this because of the way I record. This will be episode number 50. So I've actually made it wow. to 50 episodes, <laughs> which it's taken me longer than I feel like most podcasts do, but that probably fits me pretty well. Um, but I, I don't know that I would have expected I would have it, made it this far. So uh, it feels kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, well, congratulations on your fiftieth uh, episode. That's uh, that's huge. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like you've been like launching something. Yeah, no pun intended, but launching this podca- podcast like with great success, super fast. So I mean, I, I don't feel like you've been you've been that slow at hitting fifty. I, I mean, I don't really know what I'm getting at with this, but you know, like it's it's just been so high quality from the beginning. Your podcast that I just think like it's it's just been going great for you. <laughs> Actually, I feel like you. I feel like it's been going fast because you just you, it feel it felt like you hit the ground running with your episode one to ten and so on. It's a great podcast, man. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think I think I like hacked it a little bit with that weird. Uh, whenever I started it, I released an episode every day for five days, so that helped. You know, oh, maybe yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe make it appear like uh, I was a little more prolific than I actually am. But uh, it feels really cool. And uh, I feel like you're a perfect person to have on uh, for episode 50. So I'm, I'm excited to get into this. And yeah, we've been planning it for a long time. Yeah. So I had a long time <laughs> to like, uh, I was about to say prepare, but I don't really think I've prepared that much. But I've, I've had a long time to, to look forward to this at least. <laughs> Before we get into RuneStone itself then, uh, I want to give everyone an introduction mm-hmm. into who you are. So the three questions I always ask to kick off the show is, where are you from? Uh, do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then what was your career like um, and apps leading up to RuneStone? Yeah, so I'm Simon and I, I live in Denmark, in the in the suburbs of Denmark. I grew up in the suburbs um, many years ago. Then I then I moved to Copenhagen and I just recently, last year, moved uh, back to the suburbs. So for those of you who don't know, Copenhagen is like the, the capital city of Denmark. Um, and that's so that that's the biggest city we have in, in, in Denmark. <laughs> yeah, you're like the, you're the second Copenhagen uh person that that we've had in the last like i don't know five episodes or something because uh, michael was on recently oh yeah you had you had michael on earlier yeah yeah i used to work with michael but that's oh really that's, that's many cool. years ago yeah so i live in the suburbs uh in a small terraced house with with my girlfriend uh we've been doing that for a year just enjoying the the slow pace of the uh of living outside the city that's that's great i do have a formal education i studied um, software engineering for five years uh back in when was this? This that was like uh, 2011 to 2016. Yeah, must have been it. Yeah, just really had to. It was always important for me to just have like I wanted my formal education. Um, 
I also think like my parents were like, ah, that's that's a good idea, Simon. Yeah, even yeah. though <laughs> you know you enjoy, you enjoy building software and and that that seems to be working out. Maybe having an edu- education is still a good plan. And I, I always felt the same way, so I just tried to rush through it. Um, I mean, as fast as you can, nonetheless. But you were into so you were into software development before university, and then that's that's what you went into. It's oh, like yeah. computer science or something like that. To some degree, I've, I feel like I've been doing some kind of software always. I mean, my uh, my dad, um, since I was born, and also before I was born, he was building software and working with hardware in all sorts of, of ways. Uh-huh. I mean, he built, back then it was uh, building websites. Uh, he worked with modding different game consoles. And so we had all of these game consoles laying around our house. So, oh, wow. And when he wasn't modding those, he was building like small software projects and yeah, just I kind I kind of just grew into it, you know. So you were surrounded by the sort of hacker, uh, like tinker mentality your whole life, then. Yeah, I think something like that. My dad's not working with software anymore uh, at all. I mean, yeah, he is to some degree. He is actually, but uh, he had a period where he wasn't, at least. But back then, everything was like software and hardware in in our home. Um, so just it always kind of came natural to look into that. So then, out of out of university, then was the idea like find a firm to work for or did you want to do stuff on your own like how'd you how'd you get into what you're doing now let's rewind back a bit maybe um before university i went to a gymnasium that's like basically the the danish equivalent of a high school okay give and take you know you go there for three years and already back then i was uh, working like small freelance gigs uh, for various companies uh, and building my own things on the side um back then it was like websites and backend development i don't think we called it backend development back then at least i didn't know that that word um, but it, that was basically what i did um some some things in like flash and action script oh nice all yeah. that kind of things and then i got my first iphone in 2008 that was the iphone 3gs i bought that iphone because i wanted to develop for it it wasn't like the other way around mm, yeah i had this idea that i wanted to build software that you can touch uh, and like, I wanted the best touchscreen that I could get back then. To this day, I still believe that that was the best touchscreen that you could buy for for money. Basically, that's kind of how I got it, got into building iPhone and iPad apps. Yeah, and I, I built my first app uh, shortly after I got my first iPhone. I think it was like a year after. I mean, I tinkered with different things, and then then I built my first app uh, and had it on the App Store. Maybe half a year, a year after. Oh wow! Okay. That was for a Danish, yeah. Um, it was for a Danish music festival, where I, like I partnered with them to build a um, like a, the, the festival schedule in a, in an into an app that you could have it in your in your pocket and you could like favorite different concerts. So it's like a four day festival um, with a, a hundred concerts, uh, and then you could favorite them and get reminders, you know, like half an hour before the concert started, and that's like a map of the of the whole area and things like that. That was the that was the first app I had on the on the App Store. So you've been playing around with iOS and the App Store from basically the beginning. Oh, not really, right? Uh, I think the App Store wasn't it like three years old back then. This was the iPhone 3GS. Well, the the iPhone came out in 2007, but the original iPhone didn't have the App Store. It would have been like right then, like 2008, 2009 was right whenever the App Store came out. I think maybe I've got the years wrong. Then wasn't the iPhone 3GS released in 2008? Uh, you would know better than me. I I was on the Android train back. Well, maybe back then I wasn't even on a smartphone, but uh, it was a while before I was on the Android 
or the iPhone train. Maybe maybe I didn't get the year right. Um, I know I know I got the iPhone model right. Either way, that's pretty that's pretty early days. I would say either way though. Yeah, it was it was early days um, at least. Yeah, I mean then I then I went to university, uh, studied there for five years, still did some freelancing on the side, and then um, before I left university, I I like I, I signed my first contract with the um, with the company that I that I would then work for and actually still work for to to this day. Oh, nice. Now, is that iOS development? Is that what you're doing for your like day job? Yes. So I started as a, um, it's a, it's a it's an agency called Shape, based in Copenhagen, Denmark. Um, and I started there as a student developer in must have been like 2016, early 2016. And then that's that same summer, um, I finished my uh, my studies at the university, and I just I went there full time. Then I have had actually had uh, like one year where I was working for another company, and uh, that was last year. That's when we moved out of Copenhagen mm. and we moved to another part of uh, of Denmark. And I thought at the same time, you know, I'm gonna change my change my job. Um, so I worked there for just short of a year, and then um, then my old manager contacted me like if I wanted to come back and try something else and so on. And then yeah, then we made a deal that that worked out for both of us. Nice. Okay, so. It sounds like you've been tinkering and making side projects basically your whole life uh, and in the iPhone from pretty early on yeah. after university. So I guess if we like fast forward a little bit, I feel like maybe this has been the way it's always been. But by the time I started like noticing your projects and stuff, there was sort of this. Uh, it felt like you were just constantly coming out with these like sort of developer automation kind of apps. So this is like JSON and data jar and scriptable. In your head, were those like a different thing that kind of started? Or was that really what you were kind of doing this whole time? I guess it was like, yes and no. It was kind of what I was doing the whole time because I've always had like some kind of side project going on. Um, usually it would be smaller projects that I would just like abandon and move on to something mm, else yeah um just trying to figure out like what do i want to do what do i enjoy um you know things like that learning new technologies i mean that that's always been like a, a huge driver for me when starting a new side project and yeah so when i when i started scriptable i think that was also part of it i found out about this this thing called javascript core on ios where i could run javascript um and that that looked interesting uh, and at the same time um so this this was like is it four years ago, maybe something like that? Back in two thousand and eighteen, that's when that's when workflow was like that was quite big back then. Yeah, yeah. Workflow now shortcuts. Are, um, I was like this this thing, workflow um is great. I mean, that was that was like it was a whole new thing. I'd, we hadn't seen anything like it in the iOS ecosystem really, um, and I just thought it was it was super great. It was a super fun idea. But it didn't really work for me uh, because it had this like, and still to this day, as shortcuts has this like um, visual language for building your uh, your shortcuts, right? Your your scripts or whatever you want to call them. And as someone who's been like developing for a long time, that just it felt a bit cumbersome to me. I think today I've gotten more used to it. Um, I can like make some shortcuts, but back then, it just felt like it didn't really work for me. And I thought like, okay, what if I could take some of the same things that shortcuts can do, you know, integrating with system frameworks like the calendar, reminders, um, the share sheet, all of those things, 
and then use this JavaScript core thing, use JavaScript to do basically the same. Then I can write small programs, which um, for me would be be faster at least, because that that's like a that's a different language, right? That that's a yeah. written language, uh, written programming language, rather than this visual thing, which just like to me at least comes more natural. So I thought that would be a fun challenge. So that started way back then. So I guess so the idea was workflow and shortcuts and a bunch of apps kind of in that vein even outside of the iOS world they're kind of this like no code concept or whatever but you were almost it almost sounds like your inspiration was like oh they have all these hooks into the system and give users the ability to write stuff for that what if we brought it back to code <laughs> yeah i mean made it basically gave it a scripting language uh like if you were just going to write a quick bash script or something on the mac and that was that was sort of the inspiration for starting that yeah um yeah i guess in in that sense i was like the old grumpy man uh, because of course <laughs> this no code thing uh was huge back then and still is very huge today i think it's even bigger today um and you can do like many things without coding um just a tiny bit uh, and they were really i think they were kind of front runners on that the the workflow team the whole no code no code thing and yeah, so in that sense, I was like the old grumpy man saying, yeah, what you're doing is kind of cool, but what if we still code? But that's because like they were front runners on two things, I think. There was like the whole no code thing. And then there was this thing of like building an app that you use to build something else. Which on iOS was was pretty unique. Yeah. So in that in that sense, they had like, they were unique in two different ways, the no code and the, the hooks into the system. I, I thought the the hooks that they had into the system, the reminders, calendar, and so on, they were super intriguing. But I just wanted to do things in a way that I was more used to, and that was like I, I don't think I had developed any like um, developer tools before that. Uh, nothing more than you know a bash script or my right, own like right. little command line tool. Um, it hadn't really been a thing for me, and I had I don't think I had any intentions to build developer tools uh, back then at least and then like since then i found that that's that's something I, I really enjoy like building tools for basically for myself so so scriptable was the first one kind of like that what was the launch like of that what like were you releasing it to an audience and it kind of took off right away or was it a slow growth to kind of the I feel like it's a well-known sort of notable app now for people who are sort of power users. How was the launch back then? I mean, it's four years ago. Um, <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> it. I think it kind of... I think I got lucky, honestly, um, because I was just like... I was just building this on my own and I was showing it to people like in... I was showing it to friends and colleagues I don't really think they understood it. And I don't think I understood it myself either. I was just like, I remember the first prototype I made. You could like write a tiny JavaScript. And the first script that I wrote in it, it only like took a, as any sentence as input, you know, a couple of words. Then it would split that sentence into words and put emojis between the words. <laughs> it sounds stupid. And it was, so it was like, a, you know, that's this thing on, on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it's like a slightly more fancy hello world. Yeah, basically. So it, it could do this thing like, you know, some sometimes people post a sentence and then they then they have the clap emoji between each word. Ah, That's basically yeah. what I did. 
And then I showed it to, to my friends and colleagues, colleagues and showed them, look how cool this is. And they said, but, but you haven't done anything. Um, it's like, no, but imagine the possibilities. Yeah. What if, what if we wrote another script? And yeah, so, so like people didn't really get it. And, and I don't think I really understood it myself either. So I just I started tweeting about it, um, just hoping to find someone who would think this, this was fun and, and who, could, who could also like point me in some direction saying, oh, yeah, this is great. What if you did this and that? I think I got lucky that, that I found that on Twitter, someone who could like point me in some direction and, and who also thought this, this was cool. And then I got lucky again, like as, as the launch was nearing, that um, Federico uh, Vichichi of, of Mac Stories kind of found out about the app and um, decided to cover it uh, during the launch. And also, I think before, got onto the beta and so on. And, and back then, and that's, that was huge for me. And of course, it still is today if someone would want to cover, uh, cover my apps. But I mean, I had... Like that was, I didn't know anyone in the iOS community on, on Twitter or online back then, really. Uh, I mean, I knew people, but I hadn't really talked or written to anyone. Um, I just sent my tweets into, you know, this... Into the void. Dark space, yeah, hoping someone would pick it up. And, and basically that happened. Uh, so in that sense, I think I got quite lucky with the launch of, of Scriptable, that it, it got picked up by someone without me doing anything else than just talking about what I've built. And that's basically been my strategy ever since, if, if you can call that a strategy. You're kind of in an interesting cross-section, right? Of like power users who advance enough that they're going to want to write code in JavaScript, mm. but also who are going to appreciate and want to do that on iOS. Yeah. And that like Federico is sort of, you know, the person who's probably the most <laughs> prolific in terms of writing about that community and and talking about it and everything and so the fact that he picked up on it yes it was like lucky in the sense that you know he then could send it to his people but i think it's also indicative of like you were making something that that community would be really excited about too like it works both ways i think and you really did touch on something where like everybody talks about even with shortcuts it's like it feels really powerful, but then you run across, you run into these walls. Something like scriptable is like a way to get over those walls. And then you kind of see, oh my gosh, there's even more stuff I can do. And since that's come out, you've just kind of kept adding more and more system features, right? Um, yeah. Back when I started developing scriptable, I didn't really, shortcuts wasn't a thing. Workflow was a thing, right? But that same year, Apple announced that they had uh, acquired the workflow team. And uh, at DopDop that summer, they announced that, that the same summer that I started Scriptable a few months before, they announced that the shortcuts would be like opened up for developers with this uh, intent. In, was it called Intense back then? Or maybe just SiriKit? Yeah, the Intense SiriKit Intense Framework. The second that got announced during DopDop, uh, I immediately pivoted my project to be like a shortcuts companion. Mm. I thought that that's what's going to make sense now. Uh, I had no intention even before that um, that announcement to kind of compete with Workflow. Uh, I wanted to be like, I wanted them to work in parallel somehow, but I hadn't figured out how uh, exactly yet. Back then we had these X callback URLs and I thought maybe I'll just look into that and find out if, if I can do something fun with that. But when they announced that I, you can actually hook into shortcuts, it was like a no-brainer for me to, oh, yeah. to turn my app into a shortcuts companion. 
since then you just have kept adding new features like like the one that i feel like i mean you've added a bunch but the one that i feel like i saw kind of have another explosion in terms of new people using it and everything was when you added the ability to build your own widgets i've kind of focused on things that uh shortcuts doesn't do again because i don't i don't really want to compete with it i want to be something something different and shortcuts doesn't really have a sense of building uis uh for example widgets shortcuts doesn't like it has no interactions with widgets as, at all so i right. thought that's like that that's an area for me to explore and i mean there's there's been other things where like i have tried to to make some just small bridges uh, and or apis in scriptable that might fill a gap for someone at least because it's something that that shortcuts doesn't do i think Back, if I remember correctly, back when I added support for reminders in Scriptable, shortcuts didn't know anything about reminders. You couldn't you couldn't mm, work with it. Yeah, I believe you can today. Um, but that was like one of the motivations for for building a reminders bridge in Scriptable. You kind of want to be the answer to somebody's Reddit question of how can I make it do X, and if the system doesn't allow it, you want like, you know, not that you're trolling around Reddit, but you want like to be an answer to those problems. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, kind of the same way that you know Toolbox Pro does. Uh, yeah, that al- yeah. That's also a, a bunch of actions that that shortcuts uh, doesn't support. Um, I, th- I believe. I mean, I don't know what the what the developers' intentions were, but it, it seems that that must have been the intention to like fill some. Yeah, he's been on the show actually, Alex. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's and that, great. Yeah, that's very much it. Is he was a power user and wanted it to do more. Yeah, exactly. And then I just I have this twist of. I want to do the things in, in, in JavaScript, which I think also allows me to support some of the same things that shortcuts do, because then I can like then I can offer people to do it in JavaScript instead. Right. Which some might prefer. And then yeah, to underline the whole scriptable is a is a companion to shortcuts thing. Um I think uh, two years ago I introduced this this concept of running a script inline in shortcuts. So and the whole idea with that was that you can have a, a complex shortcut, but then at some point you might reach, uh, you might have to do a task that yeah either shortcuts can't do or that that's just easier to do in scriptable. My own use case uh, for for this run inline action in shortcuts that scriptable offers is almost always to transform some data. Doing data manipulation in shortcuts is is quite complicated yes. and requires a lot of actions. But like mapping mapping a, a JSON object in JavaScript is it's almost trivial. And with this run in line uh, action that Scriptable offers, you can just provide any uh, object as input or like maybe any JSON object or it could also be other things and then output the transformed object. From there, you've kind of created a couple more apps that were, I would say, companions to shortcuts. So like Data Jar is mm-hmm. one of them. JSON's another one. Was that sort of in a similar vein, how those came about? Yeah, at least for Data Giant was. That was always intended as a as a companion for shortcuts from like day one. You can say scriptable wasn't really because it was started before. Right. Was yeah, true. Before shortcuts was a thing. Um but Data Giant very much and, and it's it still is intended to be a companion for shortcuts to this day. I mean I get I get mails from people who wanted to to do other things, I get support emails from people who wanted to do things that are not really strictly shortcuts related, and that's just basically a blank no from me. That that's not really what I want to do right. with that app. That it's a clear shortcuts companion. Oh, and we should say, 
what data jar is uh it's oh yeah you can correct me if i'm wrong but it's essentially like a way to store data in icloud so it'll sync between devices essentially for the purposes Hmm. of shortcuts right yeah exactly it is it is a database for shortcuts uh that's basically it with with json that that was a bit different i think that for two reasons actually um one is that uh shortcuts got popular on ios and people started building like complicated shortcuts that talked with apis and consumed json so there was a bigger need both for like I think people in the community and also myself to view JSON, complex JSON uh, objects on on the iPhone or iPad. So I wanted to fill that need, and at the same time, I just found myself. Um, I think I built, I started building JSON shortly after I bought my first iPad Pro. I was it shortly after, or shortly before. At least I knew back then that I wanted to buy an iPad Pro. Right. I think I had I had decided to buy the next one that was released. Uh, yeah. um, so I started JSON uh, around that time. And I, I moved some of my work for my day-to-day job to that iPad Pro. And I often have the need to view a, a JSON document or in my day job. And that was just something that the iPad couldn't really do. I mean, there were other apps, but it didn't really work that well for me. Yeah, that's true. Because if you open it in any browser on the phone or on the iPad, it's just going to download it as a text file or something, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not like you can get that sort of default view that you get in Chrome or something like that. No, exactly. Yeah, Chrome has pretty good support for it out of the box. That's right. Yeah, so I just felt like if I want to work more on my iPad Pro, I feel like I need this thing. So that, that's basically how that how that went. So naturally, you build an entire uh, parser and syntax highlighting like code viewer i guess specifically around json i didn't really write a parser at first i thought that wouldn't be necessary because you know foundation already has a a json parser oh yeah that's true but yeah funny thing is you know json json objects are unordered by default i mean you shouldn't expect any order in the keys right but when you are when you have a text document and you view a representation of that text document, you expect the keys to be in the same order, right? Yeah. So that's so I actually had to write my own parser to get that behavior because Apple's parser doesn't do that. Oh, interesting. Oh man, that must have <laughs> been a horrible realization because that w- that was probably the only reason why you needed it then, right? Yeah. <laughs> the first versions, I don't I don't think they ever got to the App Store actually, but the first many beta builds are. Uh, I was testing myself, or um, just used the, what's it called, like NS JSON serialization or whatever, and that worked fine until I like realized this this that's a problem here. I mean, this is this doesn't compare well. Yeah. Because often, at least uh, when I know from myself, when I'm writing JSON by hand, there will be some like logical order of the keys. You know, I might have the the ID is the first and name. So I wanted my app to do the same, and then then it just has to write my own parser. And yeah, that that was a horrible realization that I, that I would <laughs> need that, but it turned out to be quite simple actually. Um, JSON is is quite a simple um, language to parse. I guess that's true. Yeah, kind of on purpose. Uh, we should clarify too. We've been using the terms interchangeably, but JSON J S O N is mm. the the file format, but the app itself <laughs> is a pun. It's JSON. Uh, like the name Jason, it's J A Y S O N, which is a very good name. 
when I chose that name, I really I intended it to be confusing because I thought that would be funny. Turns out not so much. Um, oh, <laughs> really? That was a horrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Has that caused issues? You end up in situations like this, and then, like when you're talking with people about it, they're like, "Yeah, but how do you spell it? Is it just J S O N? No. Okay, then it's J A J A S O N. No, no, that's that's actually a Y in there. Uh, oh, man. yeah, <laughs> that's really funny. Well, if anybody listening is still confused, there will be a link in the show notes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, okay. So you you have that guy. Scriptable feels like that's sort of your almost marquee app in terms of it being big. I don't know what your actual mm. user numbers are, but it feels like that's the really big one. And then Datajar and JSON are kind of these shortcuts companion apps. Um, and then at some point... yeah. You decided you wanted to make like a full blown code editor, so let's let's get into RuneStone, and I'm curious how how that came about. Yeah, sure. Um, Scriptable is definitely like that. That that's my biggest app. It was also like my first um, that the first it was the first developer tool I I built, and it kind of got a lot of traction as as we already discussed or, or touched upon briefly at least. Scriptable has a text editor. A big part of Scriptable is a text editor. I mean, oh, when you yeah. open it, there's That's a true. list of the scripts that you have. Then you select a script and you either, that will either run it or if you press the, the small three dots, it will open a text editor. And your entire screen will basically be a text view with syntax highlighted text. And that was built using a, an open source framework um, that's actually written in JavaScript called highlight.js or highlight or JS. I don't remember exactly. And then someone made a, a wrapper around that to expose it to Swift. And I used that for years. And I know plenty of other apps use that uh, as well. So that's just running in the, the JavaScript like engine that you can run in iOS? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's running. That's running JavaScript core, yeah. And then as you mentioned, I, I also built the, um, the JSON app, which is also to some degree a text view, or has at least a big part of that app is also a text view, because there's a visual representation of JSON. It's like, that's a kind of a simple text list, or um, sorry, that's a simple list, or UI table view, or whatever it's called. And then the other side of that is is a text view with the textual representation of the JSON. So that was like this, this common thing um, of dealing with syntax highlighted text in some of my apps. And I always thought um, two things. One, if I want to take these apps to like the next level, or if I want to take these text editors to the next level, I need to build it on my on my own. I need it to be more performant. I need it to be to do some things that that I just can't do with the current setup. And then I thought as well, um, to it might be a fun challenge <laughs> to build a text editor. Um, so back in uh, I think must have been two thousand and twenty. Yeah, December two thousand and twenty. Around I think first of December, um, I decided to give myself uh, a month to build a text editor and just see how far I can get. Uh, a month of evenings and weekends, and then around New Year, I will kind of revisit if if it's a if it's a sane decision to <laughs> yeah to continue down this path. And after a month, I had gotten pretty far, and I thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna be done in no time building this text editor. And then months went by, and uh, it ended up taking me like over one and a half year to build this text editor of like, not 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 full time, but of just like evenings and weekends. The classic, like the last ten percent takes ninety percent of the time, or something. 
Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Um, and had I known it would have taken one and a half year, I probably would have <laughs> stopped the project uh, after a month. Um, but now I'm I'm super glad that I have built it, and I learned a lot uh, during the process. Um, and now I can kind of go back to some of my uh, my other apps, uh, in particular Scriptable, and integrate this text editor. Yeah, so let's talk about that piece of it. So you built a text editor that's an app, RuneStone, which is like a plain text editor. And I feel like the main feature sort of is, you know, it's a nice text editor that has syntax highlighting for all these different uh, languages. Mm. Um, but part of this also is you released an open source library, also called RuneStone, correct? Yeah, again, uh, intentionally confusing and uh, apparently a bad idea to release an <laughs> app and a framework under the same name. <laughs> but but what was the idea behind open sourcing that? It was always meant to be open source. Actually, I never meant to build an app. At least I never meant to build a text editor that should be published on the App Store. So from day one, I wanted to build um, a framework and I wanted it to be open source. Before I started building RuneStone, I had, of course, researched if there were other similar frameworks. Um, right. And there were none back then. I mean, there were there were some, but they just they didn't do what I wanted them to do. Uh, and some of them weren't like that performant. It's, it's quite difficult to get syntax highlighting performant in a text editor on iOS. Yeah, for sure. So I, I thought I, I needed to tackle that. And then my, my thinking was like, if if I need this, if, if I have a need for a an open source text editor with syntax highlighting, line numbers, and so on, then probably others will need it as well. So I should open source it. Yeah, so that, that was always the idea. And then, of course, when you have an open source framework, I'm, I'm saying of course, but it's like it's quite common at least when you have an open source framework, you also have an example app that right. shows, one, what does this framework do? And two, how can you integrate it? Um, so RuneStone was really just the, ex- uh, RuneStone, the app was just the example project that back then. That's okay. how I tested it myself. Yeah. That's how I played around with it. And so the idea was really that you, it was more about building the library that you could then bring into Scriptable or JSON. Yeah. And the app was just the the sample project. Totally. Huh. Yeah, totally. I had, I had no intentions of, of releasing a standalone text editor app. But as I progressed, as I built features into the framework and, and built them into the example app, I just... One day looked at it uh, and found that I had kind of built a text editor that I wish existed for iOS. Um, there are great text editors already. Um, Textastic is great. There's one named Codex, and like there are different text editors. Back then, when I when I when I had this realization, and I, th- I still think to this day, none none of the text editors are using the um, what's it called the UI document browser view controller. You know this component oh, yeah. that gives yep. you basically the files app. It's like a file-based app. Like when you open the app, it opens yeah. up Finder, or not Finder, Files. And yeah, that's sort of the yeah. driving force behind the app. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I I built my example project on that because, I mean, I didn't really want to deal with, you know, browsing files and having yeah. a UI document picker and so on. Um, and then I just found that this is a quite nice way to browse and open your plain text files and... I think it's a good way to yes if if like if you receive a text file from Slack and you save it in the files app, it will automatically appear on the recent or 
I'm saying Slack, you know, it could be from anywhere. The files app have these like ways of surfacing files that you might want to use. I thought that's that works quite well for me. Yeah, so just I decided to release it. So did you release RuneStone the library and RuneStone the app together? Um, yeah, they were released. Um, they were released together back in May. I think they were released on the same day. Yeah. And how did that? Let's. I guess let's focus first on the app itself. How did that go? Was it received well? Does there seem like there is kind of a market of people that were looking for something similar? So that there were. I think it was received well for a text editor because in the end, it's just a text editor, and it's not. It's not a, like a problem that hasn't been solved on iOS before. So it's not like. It, in that sense, there's there's not much novelty. Yeah, it's hard to like tell a story, in terms of press or getting attention. Exactly. Um, so I think the story that I told was kind of similar to, to scriptable. I just I tweeted about the development. I was very open about this thing that I built and showed people the progress from day one that I that I started my open source framework, and then like throughout throughout the development and then. At some point, I think six months or so after I started developing the open source framework, I found that that I wanted to release this app at some point, and I started a beta. And I think the app was actually in in beta on test flight for a year, over a year. Oh man! So you know, throughout that throughout that year, I had also like gathered, you know, some kind of audience, and people were already using the app and uh, were used to using the app. So I think just like Beta testing an app on test flight is sort of like a soft launch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, at least it can be. And I had done that for like a year. So when I decided to launch it, I already like had some people who who could talk kindly about the app right. um, and who had already tried it and who are very kind to know, you know, tweet and blog about it and so on. Um, so in that sense, I just, the launch was quite, it was quite simple, actually. <laughs> I felt like I had already, to some degree, I felt like I had already launched it. Um, it just wasn't on the App Store. Yeah, it's like less stressful, right? Because uh, yeah, it's not like, you know, you've already had so many people looking at it that the at least really obvious rough corners had already been rounded out. And so it's there's a little bit less stress that like all these people are going to see it for the very first time. And who knows what, you know, bugs or hidden problems or whatever are hiding there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it also means that you can't really do your your big bang launch, right? Um, where you're just surprising some people and having having a big splash in that sense. Um, but that was not really my intention. Again, right. I never really intended to build an app and release it until later, and I didn't really solve a new problem here and so on. So I think this was actually a quite good way to do it. Because it just it grew the use it, it grew the user base slowly, and I felt pretty confident with the thing that I actually ended up launching, as as you mentioned, because I already had like I had I ended up with quite a lot of people on the beta just because I think uh, it was during the same period, if I remember correctly, that Apple they introduced these uh, public test flight links, or maybe it was actually a thing before then, uh, but I think it was the first time that I really tried the public mm, test flight yeah. links, and I just you know sent tweeted those and uh, sent those to people. Um, and I, I didn't set a limit on how many could join until a bit later in the process. I think the first few days there were a limit while I was like smoothing out uh, the rough right. edges. I didn't want a lot of people on it. But then throughout the 
throughout the beta, I just opened it up to a lot of people. So I, I ended up with a lot of people on my beta. Um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that that's... I understand there's different reasons for different choices for people, but for me, having as big of a beta as I can get before before a launch has been really nice. Uh, if anything, for my peace of mind. Mm. But then also, like you said, it's sort of like... You know, it it builds a little bit of an audience, and if some of those people tweet mm. about it or talk to people they know about it or whatever um that can help make that launch a little bit more more of a thing i also definitely recommend that you you have a bigger beta as you can get basically because it as you mentioned it is really um it is great for your own peace of mind that once you hit the app store all the rough edges has been smoothed out and i also think it's like it's it's a pretty good strategy to launch and soft launch an app these uh, these days because as an app developer, at least I found that for me and I, th- I think for most others as well, it is quite difficult to get some coverage for your app if you're just like launching it all yeah. of a sudden. Um, there aren't that many media writing about apps anymore. Uh, there are some and they're doing us all uh, all the developers a huge favor. Yes. <laughs> um, that's, that's so kind. But actually having a, a test flight and a big test flight and growing an audience before you launch is a way to get some some people speaking about your app the day that you launch yeah another thing i've done too is um on launch day i'll push a test flight update that's like specific to test flight that like pops up a banner that's basically like hey i'm not taking it away right now but like this thing came out would be great if you shared this with people and you know it had links or whatever oh yeah that's that's a great idea i don't know how effective that really is but it's another sort of marketing channel uh at least potentially yeah it's a great idea I never thought of that, but that, that's a super good tip. So that was RuneStone, the app, but RuneStone, the library itself, how how did that launch go? Has it found somewhat of an audience? Are there people like using it that you know about already? Yeah. I mean, it's it's the first time that I launch an open source framework um, yeah. that I really feel like I've I put some effort into at least. Uh, I mean, I have other small open source frameworks, but... Um, this one, I feel like that was like probably documented and I had a nice readme and it's it's a quite complex project. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big thing. Yeah, so that that really felt like launching something. I, I, when I when Previously, when I've open sourced a project, it didn't really feel like launching anything. It's just like putting something out in the void. But this this was actually a launch, but I had, I had nothing to compare it against. I've never done it before. Um, but people were really... Um, some people were like more interested in the project than I had thought. I mean, I th- I think I once again I thought that I would launch this out into the world and then maybe in a year or two some people will find it and think, oh, this is this this is the framework that I need, you know, randomly. But it turned out that that need that I thought would be there at some point um, was maybe a bit bigger than I thought. So already from from before I open sourced my project, I had. Um, I had people write to me that they were intending to integrate it into their app. Oh, wow. And they were eager to try it out. Is that a little scary too? Like, obviously exciting, but a little bit of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. There was, uh, it was like super intimidating because all <laughs> of a sudden I needed, I, all of a sudden I knew that there would be people looking at my code. Oh, well, I, yeah. I, 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 I didn't even I don't think know if that. they're actually looking at it. I mean, I, I can't know if they're looking at it, but at least they have the opportunity to look right, at it right. uh, if they want to. And that's super intimidating. I mean, that that put a lot of uh, additional stress on the development. And I was like, you know, you're, I was writing a small hack or 
doing something that I knew uh, knew was a little bit an ugly workaround or so. I always felt like, how am I going to communicate this to people? Like, how am I going to put this in the documentation? Am I? Yeah, that's interesting. I felt like there was a bit more. It was, yeah, I feel like it was a bit more intimidating. Um, but it was, at the same time, it was super nice to know that there would be people who were yeah, interested for sure. in it. Um, that it wasn't just something that I believed, but that I had, like, tangible proof, um, you know, just in form, like, just as, as, you know, messages and so on, um, that, that people were interested in it uh, to some degree. I actually, I had, I did a small beta of the open source framework as well. Um, I contacted some of these people that, that have, had told me that they wanted to integrate it and just had them play around with it for I think a week or two before I I, I open sourced it again just to smooth out the the edges and give myself a chance to receive some some of the like some of the questions that people would just have on day one have those answered if I could um right exactly so you're prepared on it with a smaller group size yeah exactly but yeah then when I open sourced it it turned out like I think just a few weeks later, the, the first apps were out that, that were using it, besides my own. Oh, that's cool. So that was, that was super cool. And then after a few months, uh, some of the, the mobile team from GitHub wrote me that they were they were integrating it. Um, so Whoa. that's also super cool. So yeah, it, it, it has been... It has been it has been going uh, quite good for the open source framework. Yeah, seriously. That's like the... Uh, that's kind of the ultimate, you know... Uh, I mean, how many people are viewing code in or editing code in the GitHub app? Like, that's got to be one of the the bigger iOS apps in existence for people doing that thing. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I don't know the user base, um, but I do remember uh, like a year ago when I was talking with, with some of my friends were like, why are you open sourcing this? What do you imagine? And I said, nothing. But it, it would be cool if someone like GitHub would use it one day. I remember myself saying that sentence and not really believing it. And then um, to this day, they turns out that they, they are. Um, so that's, that's great. That's so cool. Sweet. Well, I mean, it's been, it's been fun watching you do this. Uh, and actually, I, I don't know if you want to talk about it at all, but uh, I feel like you're in the midst of essentially one of these stories again right now. Uh, you are yet again building something that seems kind of crazy <laughs> it doesn't even have a name yet right this is your uh like javascript to swift ui project that you're building yeah i mean that that is that is the name right now um <laughs> i mean of of course one day i might like it's no secret if if this project like goes well it would be natural to integrate it into scriptable or um yeah that would make sense um so I guess that's like the that's the long term goal. But right now it is like an exploration of what else can I do in the space of JavaScript, um, JavaScript bridged to Swift. That was like the idea of Scriptable, right? JavaScript bridged to Swift, or actually the other way around, right? Swift frameworks uh, and APIs bridged to JavaScript. Um, right. Yeah, that's the way. Um, and then. Um, Tying a little into what we what we briefly touched upon earlier, shortcuts doesn't really have this sense of building UIs. Um, so I thought it would be fun to like investigate and research if it's possible to bridge Swift UI to JavaScript through JavaScript Core. 
Um, so that's that's a project that I've been um, that I actually I, I think again it started like a year ago and then it's been like just you know sitting on a shelf as I as I wrapped up Runestone, but then um, now that Runestone is like out and lives and has its has its own life, um, I've kind of I've picked up this project again and and made some progress. I was just gonna say if any like if these stories of of Simon talking about building these things and talking about it online if that sounds interesting to you you have a chance to watch him do it right now like it has been really fun watching you on twitter <laughs> and often just being like oh my gosh this guy is very brave <laughs> you are you are like definitely becoming the master of javascript and the intersection of javascript and swift <laughs> but it's it's so much fun watching you in these phases where you're clearly very excited about something technical and you don't quite know mm-hmm. exactly where it's all going to land yet. You're just discovering and being very, very open and talking about it constantly. And uh, it was really fun watching you do that with RuneStone. Um, it's been fun watching you do that. in. Fa- I didn't see the beginning of it, but with Scriptable, there's been lots of phases of it that have been fun. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I'm watching it again with this with this project right now, which who knows if it'll go anywhere, but it's it's a fun journey to watch either way. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm I'm super glad to hear that. Um, I really enjoy building things in the open, as they say. Uh, I think it's like it's it's just a fun way to build software because you get a lot of inputs, and uh, especially with this project of like bridging Swift UI to JavaScript, um, two parts that I know very little about. Like I don't have much experience with Swift UI, and I certainly don't have much experience writing like um, production ready JavaScript. Um, so it's just fun to put it out there and hear. I get some get some feedback from from both sides. I've gotten some really really valuable be- feedback from both side both sides, um, that has shaped the, um, the the product or the project uh, and the the APIs that that I'm working with these days. And that that's true for the for for this JavaScript to Swift UI uh, project. Or again, like the other way around, really, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> But it, it's true for it, it's it's true for that project, and it was also true for for Scriptable. Back then, I had like zero knowledge of JavaScript other than just fiddling around with my own uh, CLIs written in, in Node.js. Um, but I didn't really know what what would work in the JavaScript world in terms of APIs. So if 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 people can, I definitely recommend building things in the open. Uh, yeah. I also understand that that some people want to keep their projects a, a secret, but. That, that's never really been my thing. Before we wrap up, I do want to ask you the question uh, that I ask everybody at the end of the show, which is, uh, what's a person or people out there that have inspired you and your work that you'd recommend others check out? Yeah, um, this was a super hard one to prepare for. Because um, I, I, I don't really, f- I don't feel like I can point at one person or or any person really. And that's that's not to say that no one is inspiring me. It's rather to say that there are lots of people. It's not like I don't I don't really have one person where I feel like uh, this person is like that's who I want to be. Uh, they inspire me. Yeah, yeah. It's more like something that they do. So like, if you ask me, if you ask me this question ten years ago, I would say that anyone who lives off or uh, who who can make a living of making iOS apps, they inspire me. Uh, if you asked me twenty years ago. Or 15 years ago, I would say anyone who makes a living of making uh, software, they inspire me. So it's like it's always something people do, um, and then I can like I can dive into these um, and have like these periods of time 
throughout a year where there's like where there is like one specific person mm. who inspires yeah. me. And that's that's again that's because of something really specific that they've done. I remember like earlier this year it was a um, a person named Mark Seaman who's been like very vocal around um, you know design patterns and challenging some of the design patterns uh, presented by Martin Fowler. Um, and then I had like a month where I just like dived deep into the work of Mark Seaman and everyone who would hear me talk about it, I would just talk with them about it. Oh, do you know this guy named Mark Seaman and he does this and that. But that's like, that's again for some very particular things that he made that I that I really believed in. And I still have it to this day. I mean, uh, you're an inspiration to me for, for doing this podcast and like <laughs> uh, Christian Seelig for doing these like funny... Um, funny things in his apps like this pixel pal thing like making that work i mean that that really inspires me that, that's like that's something that i that i hope to do with my apps one day as well like can i can i make a serious app somehow and then making this like fun twist on top of it that is also technically challenging and like impressive from a technical perspective even though it's yeah this like goofy delightful thing uh embedded in an app Oh yeah, sure. It's definitely not easy to to do what uh, what Christian did. Um, but yeah, so it, it's difficult to point at at particular persons. I guess I did that anyways. But it's like I feel like every day it's 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 a it's a new person because then they tweet something where I'm like, oh, this is super cool. I want to do that. I want to do what they have done. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like the answer is the community uh, in a sense. Yeah. It feels weird uh, on this day. Today is uh, November 15th. So at this point, at least, Twitter is still alive. And so Twitter, you know, <laughs> that that sort of world of, of people that are openly talking about the things that they build. This is something I found in the iOS community in particular really inspiring is like a lot of people talking about what they're working on. Like I've because I came from the web world and lots of people talk openly about technical things they're working on. But like the product mm. side and all of the different pieces all coming together and people being really open about that. The iOS community in general, for whatever reason, has this sort of general vibe of people just being really open and talking a lot about what they're doing. And I, yeah, I've, I find the same way. Like I, ha I could have a list. Well, I could have a list 50 people long uh, as this podcast maybe shows of people who've <laughs> like been big inspirations for me. And like you said, it's like there are times when I'm really into a particular person, um, like recently, uh, Daniel Gauthier with uh, with Up Ahead. Oh, yeah. Like, I just want everything about that to be things that I'm doing. But I've had lots of people, you know, my career or throughout my iOS time that have been like that. And you can probably see pieces of all that in my app. It's like a tapestry of these different people I've been obsessed with over time. Yeah, up, yeah, up ahead. That that's really a great app. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to time to talk about things like Twitter and so on and the yeah, iOS yeah. community because, as you mentioned, yeah, Twitter is still alive. I I don't know about you. I haven't checked it within the last uh, one and a half hour while while we've been chatting. But um, right, it might not be we know there it could when have we been shut down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I think I I think you have a good point. Like. It's a good way of phrasing it, um, the ones you, you just had, of like saying that the iOS community is, is their inspiration here. Because that is like, that is a community that I 
don't believe you find something you might find something like it but you don't find something exactly like that in yeah. in, in for many other platforms um i have some friends who like build apps for android um yeah i have friends who build who build uh, apps for android um and they're like looking at the ios community saying that's that there is something special here that that they they feel like they're missing out on uh, of course, they're also going to conferences, conferences and meeting people. But I think we have the benefit when we meet in real life. We've usually talked before that on Twitter, and we've like yeah. it feels like people already know each other somehow. And and I don't think you have that feeling in many other communities. And that is because we share uh, a lot of our work. Um, and that's just like yeah, it's it's a difficult thing to talk about because like <laughs> for all we know, in a week we might not have this. Or maybe it's on another platform or yeah. Yeah, the good news is the people the people are there. That I you know, I wasn't part of the Apple development community until more recently, but like I've talked to a lot of people who have been and a lot of people talk about mm. like panic and the sort of delicious app generation as a similar kind of feel. They didn't have Twitter. Uh so I think I hope Yeah that the community exists if if for whatever reason twitter isn't where they live i i really hope that they still can find a place uh to to continue that sort of tradition of sharing and being quirky and making fun delightful things for the sake of making fun delightful things and uh and inspiring each other in some way so yeah we'll see where it is i mean that there was a time before twitter and, and of course there'll be a time after twitter but let's see i mean Maybe, maybe Twitter will still be a thing. I hope. I mean, I'll, I've, I've tweeted that um, before, and I'll, I'll mention it again. I'll, I'll be the last person to leave, uh, not because I endorse all the things that that are going on, but just because it's like, it's, it's where people are, um, yeah. and it's, it's where I, I get a lot of my, um, my news, at least my tech news. So it's like, it's, it's just the place to be, right? Yep, for sure. I'm definitely scrambling around and trying to build any social graphs I can in other places just in case. But uh, mm. for now, anyway, I really hope that it stays as Twitter and things stabilize in whatever form that that needs to take. That isn't horrible. Uh, that isn't yeah. hopefully like a bad thing. But, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll see. Yeah. 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 I don't want to end on a, on a sad note, though, uh, because Twitter, <laughs> as long as it's still here, you're going to be tweeting about the the crazy projects. Uh bringing javascript and swift together oh yeah uh and so definitely check that definitely. out and w where where should people go to find that and any other projects that you're working on um yeah i think the best place to find me is is, is on twitter uh, right now <laughs> uh, where i'm at simon bs uh, um and you can also find me on simon dev, um where there'll be links to all my projects and other social social platforms Thanks for listening. This episode was edited by Jonathan Ruiz. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. <laughs>